Good morning, friends. Welcome to Myers Park United Methodist Church. My name is Uyan. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful that we can be joined to praise and worship our God together this day. Uh, if you are a first-time visitor or relatively new to our church, we especially welcome you. We're so grateful that you chose to worship with us this day. At the end of our pews, there's a hospitality pad, and there's a QR code at the back of your bulletin. And for those of us online, there's a virtual hospitality link that you can click on to let us know who you are, how we can be in prayers for you, and to share the various ministries of our church. I'm so grateful and glad to be joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Nancy. What else is going on today? As always, there is a lot going on at Myers Park United Methodist. If you will check your This Week at Myers Park, which is inside your bulletin, and there are announcements in the bulletin itself as well, there is a place for you to plug in and to connect. That's what's special about being a Methodist is having connection with one another. Two things I wanna call your attention to. One, this coming Wednesday the 8th um, at noon is Midday Music. It will be a fun time of music for St. Patrick's Day to get you in the mood for that. The other thing I wanna remind you of is that this month we are conducting snacks for our school partners at Hidden Valley Elementary School. Even in a place like Charlotte, there are food deserts where our kids don't have enough to eat. So we're collecting snacks. If you want information about that, it's in here. Let's, pre let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Friends here in our sanctuary and friends joining us online, let us join our voices together as one as we affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed, which is in your hymnal at number 881. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it is a privilege to celebrate the Holy Sacrament of Baptism. Today, we have Stephanie and Jeff bring their daughter, Nora Frances Dillon, Claire and Drew with their daughter, Eleanor Ling Patterson, and Meredith and Asher with their daughter, Son Louise Steinbeck. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of holy baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We're incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All of this is God's gift offered without price. So friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church so that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept Christ's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? If so, say we will. And you, the members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, do you promise to include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? And will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say, we will. Let us pray. 
Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those in the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you now in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Sutton Louise Steinbeck, I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. She wasn't crying when I held her. <laughs> Eleanor Link Patterson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through the water and the Spirit, you may be faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Nora Francis Dillon, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, so let your light shine before others that they may come to know the Father in heaven. Children of God, may you grow in age. May you also grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you through the family of God.
that's the most fun thing we get to do. <laughs> Friends, would you please join me in our prayer of confession, which you will find in your bulletin. Let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden to even realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Friends, this is the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves his love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel reading is John chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. It's always helpful to identify ourselves within the stories of the gospel narrative. We ask ourselves, where am I in this story? Who do I know that might be in this story? Today we're introduced to Nicodemus. Uh, he is not mentioned anywhere else. He's only mentioned the Gospel of John for the first time here in chapter 3. We know that he's a Pharisee, yet he's, he's a Pharisee without being an antagonist. He's genuinely curious about Jesus and comes before Jesus asking questions. He knows that Jesus, at the very least, is a teacher from God, but he's thinking maybe there's something more to all of this. Uh, he walks away from his encounter with Jesus from chapter 3, somewhat confused and confounded, but he does return two other times. He comes back in uh, chapter 7 and chapter 19. Because despite the doubts and the, the reservations that he has for Jesus, he keeps coming back over and over again, seeking more, uh, more of Jesus. In chapter 7, we see Nicodemus coming in defense of Jesus as he is having some sort of an argument with the religious rulers. And though that is admirable, his defense of Jesus is not really that uh, well thought of. He's kind of lukewarm in his defense of Jesus. So we're still kind of left scratching our heads. The last encounter that we have of Nicodemus is in chapter 19, where he comes post-crucifixion of Christ, along with Joseph of Arimathea, where he brings about a lot of very expensive burial spices in order to honor Jesus' death. So we're left to wonder, is this a signal where he has finally come into the fullness of his discipleship? 
If you look at chapter 3 and chapter 7, Nicodemus only comes to Jesus during the night as if to signal he's not quite ready to make his discipleship, his declaration of his following Jesus publicly. He's hiding because he's also very much aware of his public status, right, his religious order as a Pharisee. There is no closure to what happens with Nicodemus's questions and doubts and his, is he really committed now or is he still hesitant? What we do know is how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus. He is ever present with him. He's ever patient, ever gracious with all of Nicodemus's questions and doubts, his wishy-washy ways. And at the very least, perhaps we can learn from Jesus of how God calls us to witness to the Nicodemuses of the world. Those who are maybe curious about this thing called Christianity, those who are questioning uh, the ministry and the gospel of Jesus, but they have doubts, they have trepidations, they're weighing the cost of proclaiming Jesus as Lord. May we then, like Jesus, be ever patient, ever accepting, ever gracious in making room and space for the Nicodemuses of our world, of your world. That's a good lesson. When I was in first grade, we didn't do this for very long, but after Sunday worship, me and a couple of my friends would, we would scatter, each of us, just a handful of us, would go door to door to evangelize. We'd knock on a door, stranger's house, to share the gospel. Around a, a church that we were worshiping, there were plenty of homes and apartment complexes that we could knock on. Sometimes they'd answer, sometimes they didn't. And whenever the door opened, I had a, a three-step methodology. It's a very classic methodology. I'm not recommending that you do any of this, especially if you're a first grader. I would knock on the door, door would open, and I would start by this classic line, if you were to die tonight, do you know whether you'd go to heaven or hell? And then at some point, golly, you've never done that before? Am I the only one that has done that? <laughs> Maybe I am. And then I would move on to the second phase at some point to say, I, you know, I'm concerned about your salvation here. I'm going to invite you to church where I attend. The pastor's wonderful, who was also my father, so that's, that's always a good thing. And eventually I would move on to the third step, which uh, is John 3.16. I would share... For God so loved the world, um, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? Whoever believes in the Son of God. Sometimes uh, the, the, they would shut the door in my face. It's all right. I don't mind the rejections. Sometimes they would have further questions and Q&As and conversation. And sometimes they would even invite me in to their home where I would go in and, you know, have cookies or snacks or whatever. And in retrospect, that was a terrible idea. Can you imagine <laughs> first graders just entering into strangers' home? Uh, but this was uh, the mid-'80s. Times were different then. So, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, on January the 8th, 2012, there was the game. Not just any game, but there was the game. 
AFC wildcard playoff game between Steelers and the Broncos. The quarterback for the Broncos was none other than Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was a college hero in the football uh, fans. He played for Florida a couple of years prior during the national championship game. He had written John 3.16 right underneath his eyes, and for about 24, 48 hours, that was the most searched uh, in Google. And here he was now in his playoff game playing against the Mighty Steelers, and the game was tied 23-23, went to overtime. Broncos won the coin toss. First possession, first play of overtime, and Damaris Thomas ran a slant route, and Tim Tebow threw a perfect spiral, which in and of itself was a miracle, uh, to Damaris Thomas for the touchdown, winning the game on the first play of the overtime. In that game, Tim Tebow threw for 316 yards, and he averaged 31.6 yards per pass completed. Times Magazine would dub that game the John 316 game. Uh, Billy Graham has always shared that his favorite verse in the Bible was John 316. He called it the gospel in miniature. If the 23rd Psalm is the most famous of all the chapters in the Bible, then surely John 3.16 is the most famous verse in all the Bible. I myself, like many of you here, I hold the very words from John 3.16 near and dear and close to my heart. I do my very best to fully live into the good news and the mystery of the words found in John 3.16. I really do. But there's a small part of me deep down inside where I wish at times where I just kind of wish Jesus never said those words. And you know why? Because those words, those precious words throughout history have been misused to bring about pain, to bring about exclusion, to bring about violence and injustice in the world. These words have been misused to condemn all other faiths and their followers. These words have been misused to endorse violent triumphalism. These words have been misused to sharpen swords. And I don't need to look too far in church history to know this truth. I myself have participated in this misusage of these precious words found in John 3.16. I have outwardly, inwardly, consciously, subconsciously have condemned many people, often citing John 3.16. Those are not my ways anymore. A lot of things have changed since those times. One of the things that consistently kept happening was the very people that I sought to, whether it be outwardly, inwardly, condemn, these people kept becoming God's instrument of blessings in my life. That's really annoying, yeah? I remember uh, Mrs. Kim. Uh, she, was my, she was somebody that I talked about from this very pulpit, July of 2018. Remember that sermon, July of 2018? I wish that wasn't so funny. <laughs> uh, that was my first sermon. 
and I share my story of Mrs. Kim, who was my English tutor from 1993 to 1995. She was the one who taught me English. She was a pretty devout atheist, but it was through her that I learned the very language that I use to this day to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I remember Mr. Burr, my 10th grade Western European history teacher. I think the closest thing that, to religion that he ever had was Star Wars, but he was the one who taught me the passion of learning, that you need not learn just for grade's sake, but learn for the joy of learning. And in college, I remember my study buddy. I was an economics major. I remember my friend Jake. That's not his real name. He was an international student from India. He was a Hindu, although he was not at all practicing Hindu. Um, and he was my study buddy. Uh, he was the smarter of the two by far. He, <laughs> he went to go on to do MBA study at Harvard, and he's doing wonderful things. And I don't know how this topic came up. I probably uh, it's, uh, brought it up somewhere. But in that conversation, out of, I thought, of good intention, I told Jake, you know, Jake, you'll probably go to hell when you die. Yeah? Ugh, that's yeah, bad, right? Yeah, that's bad. And Jake's response was so wise. We were at 19, 20 at the time. We're sophomores in, in college. He said, well, can we be friends now at least? Yeah. Can we be friends now? There's nothing more disruptive and disturbing than being shown goodness and mercy by the very ones you condemn. Uh, there's nothing more transformative and at times painful than to be loved by the very people that you deem to be your enemy. I learned through the years the obvious lesson that God's love for you and for me and the world is completely and wholly unqualified. There's no qualification that any of us need to meet to receive the love of God. And so when we follow Jesus and when we read passages like John 3.16 and others like it, I think it's important for us to remember that there are consequences of loving God. There are consequences of being loved by God. There's a cost to being part of the beloved family of God. Not like opportunity cost, not like cost of transactions. I'm talking about cost of being transformed, cost of being born again. One of the consequences is sooner or later we'll come to learn that uh, this Jesus, this Jesus does not just love you and me. <laughs> This Jesus loves the world. This God loves the entire world and all the people in it more than we can possibly imagine. And the second consequence is, can we learn to trust this Jesus with not only you and me, but the whole world? To trust this Jesus, to journey with him, laying before him all of our frustrations, doubts, pains, 
all of our anger and woundedness ensure and certain hope that Jesus will carry us toward the journey of renewal and new life? Are we humble enough to invite this God to hear us and join us in that journey? And the third consequence is, is compassion. One of my mentors shared that the people become the God that they believe in. The people become the God that they believe in. So who is this God revealed through Jesus? Well, this is a God who's nothing less than the God of compassion. Compassion for all of God's people. God's justice is nothing less than God's compassion divvied up to all the people, every single one of the people in the world. And such compassion is not the exception, but it becomes the rule. I've shared uh, before that when I went off to college, I had some frames that my mom gave me. One was of um, Joshua chapter 1, Be bold and be strong, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the other one is from Joshua chapter 24. When Josh says, I don't know about you, but as for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. Uh, that's, that's our family motto. Long before our children will ever learn to root for Duke or any other school, they're going to learn to worship the Lord. My parents didn't have any money to give me when I went off to college, but they gave me those two frames, and I hold them dear to my heart. But without said... I got to ask myself, and I think it's good for us to ask this question of what does it mean for us to be the type of disciples of Jesus where through our discipleship of love, the world will then witness to God's love for the entire world, not just for you and for me, not just for the United Methodist Church, not just for the church, but for the world. And regardless of how you may, we may see other religions and its people, other cultures and nations, we would do well to remember how Jesus commands us and how Jesus treated all those who were different from Jesus, different from us. Seeing the ability to see new things is one of the themes of the gospel lessons, including John. God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we look closely, that very declaration is sandwiched between two other proclamations. One is what? What precedes it? God so loved the world. What follows it? God did not send his son to condemn the world. It is from those two proclamations and we have the declaration of God's love that is shown through God's Son who is our Lord Jesus. Carl yeah. Barth, whom we quote often from this very place, writes these words. Christian is one who believes in the light of Jesus Christ is permitted to hope for the best for all people, even Judas who betrayed Jesus, 
This is not a claim to knowledge of the ultimate future or of the mind of God, but an act of trust and hope in the God who loves the world through giving his son to be crucified. So as we journey together as the people of God here at Mars Park United Methodist Church, may we possess such trust and hope. And may God's love for the entire world be alive in us, be alive in us as we journey together in faith. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, would you join me in a time of prayer? O God of every nation, of every land and people, before all that is, you were God. Outside all we know, you are God. After all is finished, you will be God. Your name is proclaimed throughout the universe. Your majesty is beyond our grasp. Your love is something beyond what we can imagine. For we are your creation, small, finite, limited, hindered and held down by our own sin. Yet you loved us enough to send your son and yet you still call us to yourself. You pursue us in love, and we give you thanks and praise. Lord, in your mercy. On this day, we lift up our country and our world, divided as we are by fear, anger, accusations, and desire for revenge. We're assailed from without and from within by contention, that seeks to tear us apart. We pray especially for the part of your church called Methodist. In our spiritual flailing, we forget that we are called to be one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. So create clean hearts within us. Renew our spirits. Lead us to be born anew that we might be your messengers in a hurting world, such that when others look at us, they see you. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for all those who suffer, whether from the ravages of nature or from mistreatment by other human beings. And in asking that you relieve their suffering, we present ourselves to be used by you in bringing reconciliation and peace. On this morning, we pray for the families of Charles Walker, Mary Jane McKnight, and Jerry Richardson in their time of grief. Grant them all your peace and the assurance of your continued presence. We lay before you now all of our fears our dreams, our dreads, and our hopes. 
Lord, in your mercy. Still our own turbulent spirits by your own spirit. Calm the fears that are driving the discord. Cause us to once again be united in your love that transcends even the beauty of diversity. Cure our sin-sick souls. Transform our hearts by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is your will, what is good and acceptable and true. We give you thanks and praise for the gifts of new life and renewed love, for your mercy which is beyond all understanding, certainly beyond anything we could ever do for ourselves. We know that what the Father created, the Son reclaims and reconciles, and the Spirit refreshes and sustains. May we daily be born anew into the eternal presence of your goodness and grace. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name and through your Spirit, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as the ushers come forward and we prepare to give to God his tithes and our offerings, I want to once again thank you for your continued generosity. It's your generosity that makes it possible to have all these marvelous ministries for our children and our youth, from handbells to mission trips to um, overnights to learning experiences and everything along those lines. It is your generosity that makes that possible. Thank you.
generous God, it is with joy that we bring these gifts to you. We ask that you bless them and multiply them, use them through us to demonstrate to the world how much you love the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. May God's love for the whole world may be alive in us and through us. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>